Hi, Austin. Hello, Hannah. How's and, it going? Um, it's actually going pretty good. It's our third day in a row seeing each other. It's our f- fourth day in a row seeing each other. Because you came over on Tuesday. Oh, I did. It's our fourth. That's... It's that, weird. It's it's really it's weird. very weird. I mean, I'm, I don't hate it, though. No, I'm not, like, mad about it. Oh, I need your Wi-Fi password. Jesus. My goodness. My goodness. I don't even know which one it is. Restricted It's not e-bunny, is it? God, no. Let's just start that all over again. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Austin. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I am doing well. It is our now, we just figured it out, fourth day in a row that we've seen each other. Mm -hmm. And it's weird, but I'm loving it. I'm not (laughs) hating it. It's been a good time. I'm not mad about it, but I am tired. <laughs> I mean, it's it is a lot. I mean, just we've been just almost nonstop every single day. Yeah, he came over for dinner on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Wednesday we had to watch The Shining because last night, which was Thursday, we were guests on another podcast called The Seventies versus the Eighties. And we highly recommend checking them highly, out. Yeah, Mike and Mike and Brian are Mike and Brian. Pretty rad. Mike on the mic. Mike on the mic, yeah. Brian, um, we need to figure out a name for Brian. It's Bry Guy. Is it Bry Guy? It's Bry Guy, apparently. Oh. But never Fry Guy. I don't think I figured out the joke with that one yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Bry Guy, but not Fry Guy. Yeah, so anyway, um, because we were, we were going to talk about The Shining, and I had not seen The Shining. So, yeah, and now we're here doing our own podcast. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome, everybody, to episode 15. Dun, dun, dun. 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 Oh, my God. (laughs) We are too in sync sometimes, and we scare ourselves, but, you know, it's pretty good. It's cool. It's cool. So, Hannah, do you have any little little things to bring up? Because I know I have one thing to bring up before we get into our uh, stories here today. You know what? I'm so mad because I did read something in an article earlier this week that I was Mm -hmm. like, I absolutely have to talk about that. And I was like, I'm going to put it on pause and go back to it and, like, dig into it more. And I never did. Oh. So, here. Next time. Here I am. Womp womp. That's okay. Well, then are you ready for mine? You sure I am. All right. True or false, do humans grow taste buds or regrow taste buds? I don't think they regrow them. Actually, the human body replaces the taste buds every two weeks. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I found that interesting. I got... I wonder if that's why my appetite's so back and forth all the time. I mean, it definitely could be. I didn't really dig into the science of it, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, a lot of other cell, well, every cell in the body replaces itself. Mm-hmm. So why not the little uh, little doodads on the tongue there? The little tasty doodads. The taste, bu- the, the tasty boys. The tasty... Gross. The tasty yeah. boys. <laughs> That sounds like a really bad 90s, like, hip-hop group. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the Tasty boy Boys. Band. Yeah. Like, trying to be a Beastie Boys, like, rip-off. Oh, yeah. See? That's even worse. Okay. So, do you have another thing? No, that's the only one that I was had it? today. That was the only yeah, thing? That's I had a fine. Busy, I had a busy day at work and busy putting some final touches on the story today, so. Yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Little, little light on the on the extra info. Next week I'll have more. I will enlighten you 
with some more interesting facts. Yeah, that sounds good. We've yeah, we've obviously been very busy this week, and mm-hmm. I know we both just finished our notes within the last hour, so mm-hmm. <laughs> a little little behind, but it's okay. Here it's all we fresh are. Fresh in the head, though. So I guess flip, or is my my turn to flip? Yeah, the coin? it's your flip. That's the flip. That is tails. All right, well, <laughs> while you're in your world over there on that side of the table, I'm going to be in my world over here uh, talking about the Val Johnson incident. Fine, I'll come out of my world to listen to Val Johnson. I actually don't know who that is. Yeah, do so. you, have you heard of this at all? <laughs> so okay. this is all fresh and new. This is actually, this will be fun. Oh, this will be super fun. Awesome. All right, so we're going to go to October 27th, 1979 at around 2 mm. a.m. All right. Marshall County Deputy Val Johnson was on patrol near Warren, Minnesota on Highway 220. Johnson saw a bright ball of light ahead of him that he later described as 8 to 12 inches in diameter and 3 to 4 feet off the ground, and the edges were very defined. Johnson continued to drive toward the light and then woke up in the ditch over 30 minutes later, with his eyes burning and both his wristwatch and car clock behind by 14 minutes. Ooh. This incident became a significant and very well-known UFO encounter and was once listed as one of the most influential encounters. Right here in Minnesota. Right here in Minnesota. I love that. So an investigation was started, obviously. Well, I shouldn't say obviously because sometimes it's, a lot of times this stuff isn't investigated. Right. So Johnson's 1977 Ford LTD had a smashed windshield, a broken headlight, a broken emergency light, and two antennas bent. One was bent at a 90-degree angle. A doctor found that the injuries to Johnson's eyes were similar to welder's burns. Like, if you're, like, welding without a mask, it was similar to... Oh. Yeah, it was very much like that. Hmm. And Johnson once stated that his teeth were fractured at the gum line. Ouch. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that was Sounds like he got hit with something. Something hefty. Yeah. Well, the squad car had left 800 feet of skid marks. Wait, wait, why did it leave 800 feet of skid marks? I suppose I kind of, I didn't quite like, yeah. So he had collided with the light and I'll tell you what he said about it in a little bit. Okay. So the squad car had left 800 feet of skid marks. Okay. The force that caused the damage to the car didn't seem to come from the inside or the outside. I don't like that. How Mm -hmm. does that happen? I don't know. (laughs) I'm not a fan. I think at one point they even had people from Ford come out and take a look at the vehicle, and they mm-hmm. were like, this is weird. Like, oh. we don't know what would have caused this with the force that it took. And also, I was looking at the picture of the car. Oh, yeah? And, like, those cars were hefty. Like, Oh, it's the I 70s. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the 70s, but, like, hefty. I mean, yeah, the gas crisis going on, but those trucks, yeah. So Johnson stated that he was driving towards the light and then suddenly it was in the car with him and he heard the glass breaking and then doesn't remember anything after that. Oh. Yeah. I have a quote later, but... Okay. Uh, maybe, no, it's not a quote, but I was like mm. reading over like the transcript from when he like came to and mm-hmm. he radioed in for help. Okay. And he was like, I don't know what happened. Something hit my car and I could hear like the glass and, and the brakes and... Like, all of the stuff, like, the locks, everything, like... Oh. And then it just went black, and then he woke up in the ditch with the car, like... He had, like, swerved into the ditch. From what I could tell, looking at the graphs and stuff from the, 
like reports mm-hmm. he had like gone over the other lane into the ditch oh my god yeah okay and left 800 feet of skid marks and left 800 feet of 800 skid marks 800 feet that's, that's what it a said long distance mhm wow okay yeah so think wow. about how fast this thing must have been traveling toward him too oh yeah like it really really fast yeah one source stated that Johnson refused to do a polygraph test because he didn't want it to feed into people's morbid curiosities. I mean, I can respect that. Yeah. Like, I get I get it. I would love to know more. Yeah. From that, but I get why he wouldn't. He, and like, you'll see as we go through this, he very much seems to have the approach of like, it is what it is. It happened. Can we move along? Like, whether you believe me or not, I know it happened. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically. I mean, not even that. It's just like, it happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, the sheriff of the time, which I'm going to mention in like a couple points. Okay. Uh, Dennis Burke, he, or sorry, Dennis Breck said that he believed, he took his word, he took Johnson's word for it. Like he had no reason to doubt him that that's what happened. And just looking at the evidence, like nothing made sense. So like. Right. It's the most logical explanation with the most unexplainable things. Yeah, basically. So ultimately, an answer was never found, and the events of that night remain a mystery. So, I, yeah, okay. Uh, the county wanted the patrol car to be repaired and back in the fleet as soon as possible, but the county sheriff at the time, Dennis Breck, convinced officials to leave it um, as it was for the public to see. So they put it on display? Yeah. Oh. And so the car is still on display at the Marshall County Museum with a sign that says, UFO car! And it's a really popular attraction during the county fair. Hannah, why haven't we gone there? I don't know, but we're going this to this summer. We wa- have so much stuff to do this summer. This is just in Warren, Minnesota? Mm-hmm. That's like a three-hour drive from us, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, the Warren UFO Encounter, which is what it's also known as, okay, uh, has been studied by experts such as Jerome Clark, who wrote the UFO Encyclopedia. He's an American author that focuses on UFO and paranormal subjects. He called this an extraordinarily important case. And Chad Lewis, the paranormal researcher from Minnesota that I've brought up several times, like with Bigfoot and the Van Meter visitors and everything, he's studied it. He's putting it in, uh, I think, a, a book that he has coming out. Or maybe the book has come out by now. I, don't, I can't remember when the article came out. But As for Val Johnson, he continued on in his position for a bit after the incident and then became chief of police in uh, the nearby town Oslo, Minnesota. Oslo? O-S-L-O. I would say Oslo. Oslo? Okay. I haven't heard of that town. I haven't either. Uh, He was later hired to set up another town's police department, but after a funding dispute, he lost his job and went to work as uh, security in the Twin Cities. I think it was at a mall. And then eventually he moved to 3M answering the customer service calls. He is now retired and he has great grandchildren. Oh, he's still alive? He's still alive. This was in the 70s. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was like just at the end of the 70s when like this incident happened. Yeah. So Johnson has said that the publicity of his story really put a strain on his family. Oh, I could imagine. Yeah, he said for about a year after the incident that their house phone was ringing all the time with people calling to talk about it and ask him questions. And he once was quoted in an article saying that his wife, Roseanne, was run ragged due to the phone ringing off the hook all the time. Man, that... 
It, you, I would have ripped that phone off the wall or changed my number or something. It gets better. Oh, okay. For years, people would show up to his home to share no. their theories and thoughts on his story. He said, and this is a quote from him, Okay. We'd sit in the backyard with lemonade and talk. They'd tell me what they thought happened to me, and I'd nod at the appropriate times. Eventually, they'd go away. <laughs> beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So Johnson appeared on Good Morning America at one point, and his story has been told on a few shows from the History Channel and the Travel Network and in books. He once said on a show called That's Incredible, and I, I really just want to take a second here. Mm-hmm. This quote, like, came out of nowhere and just, like, smacked me in the face because okay. it just felt so much deeper than, like, everything else in the rest of this story. And right. I just casually found it, like, in the middle of an article about all of this. But this was Johnson. Like I said, he was saying it on a show. Upon reflection, we've come to the conclusion that perhaps the creator has made other things we can't readily see or readily identify, and perhaps this is one of the things we encountered on the road. That's hauntingly deep. Like, yeah, there's something haunting about it, and I don't know why, because it's not, like, a particularly, like, threatening or haunting, like... No. It's ju- it's just I think it's just the depth of it yeah. just in the middle of all of this. That, like yeah. I can I can respect this viewpoint on it. Like it's not to say that there's like viewpoints out there that I'm going to be like no, that's awful. But like Right, but like with can, this one you could you can fully or wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, yeah, understand. Yeah. Yeah, it really puts it into perspective, um especially about how he views it. Right. You you can get a better un- yeah, like you said, a better understanding of how he views that whole situation. Yeah. So he quickly got tired of talking about it and stopped doing interviews a while back, but NPR got a hold of him in 2015, and he talked some with them. Uh, Personally, he doesn't think it was aliens, but he hasn't ruled it out. Okay. Now he mostly treats the event as if it was any other day. He literally said something i can't remember what the quote was but it was something like just stumbling along with life after it happened like just Uh, going just going along so i have another quote from him uh i saw a ball of light i drove toward it and suddenly it was in the car with me it's unexplainable and will remain so i'm just happy with my mental stability you know that's really fair that is fair like, he could have let this just eat and consume him his entire life of, what was that? What happened to me? It's so unexplainable. He literally just, like you said earlier, it is what it is. It is what it is, yeah. So in 2021, Care 11, which is like a local news station and news network in Minnesota, mm-hmm. visited him at his home in Wisconsin and chatted with him for about 20 minutes. He didn't really want any of it on record, but asked them to pass along, and this is a quote, that he hopes these new UFO sightings and government reports might give people a new perspective on his story. I like that. Yeah. Because, like, remember, that's when, like, everything was declassified and when it was all starting to come out and everything. Right. And I'm wondering, with all that declassified stuff now... That might be, have to be one of those ones where we tag team like an alien kind of story. Oh, I wonder if we yeah. could find something like that that might have some explanation. Is that Roswell is declassified? Potentially. Oh, man. Yeah, so that is the story of the Val Johnson incident. I like that one. That was a good like one. It. There's enough mystery to where I have a lot of questions still, but I also really agree with Val 
and it it is what it is yeah. like there's so unexplainable it's like why worry about it mm-hmm. i like his demeanor on it yeah yeah it's really interesting it's very different um i was worried this was not going to be long i was genuinely worried i was gonna have like one and a half pages of notes Mm -hmm. on it and then um one of the articles i was reading referenced a pioneer press article that came out and then the npr one like they found him and everything Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of sources that said he's really hard to track down people think he moved to wisconsin like nobody really knows for sure what happened to him in the npr article they were like uh turns out he lives in wisconsin and he answers his phone (laughs) <laughs> it's like and that was just the, called him that was the one where i got all the information about like what he ended up doing after the incident where he is now what is like grandkids a lot of his thoughts a lot of the quotes from him like came from that article so all from npr yeah they're like well he oh. picked up his phone well good on you npr yeah and then I really thought about it for a second. I was like, do I try? Because, like, I could find him easily. And then I was like, no. No, this has disturbed his peace enough. I will mm-hmm. just talk about it and hope that it doesn't. Hey, maybe he hears our podcast and maybe reaches out. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Hey, I know. think he's happy and he doesn't care. I would bet money he doesn't listen to stuff like this because he just doesn't care. You know, I. that's probably the more logical explanation to that yeah and i would agree and hopefully he's living a long healthy life so far yeah thus far yes so that is that is it that is my topic what do you have for me well hannah i like your topic a lot but we're going into the death of brian wells oh okay why does that name sound really familiar? So you might have heard this story because this all took place in 2003. It's also known as the pizza bomb. Or like, yeah, I think like the pizza bomb incident. I, or the pizza bomber. Sorry, there pizza, we go. The pizza bomber. Pizza bomber, yep. Okay, that one sounds a little bit more familiar. Okay. Well, go ahead. Tell me, c- yep. tell me the story. We'll figure it so, out. <laughs> so Brian Wells is a 46-year-old man living in Erie, Pennsylvania, and he works at Mama Mia's Pizza Shop as a delivery driver. Um, he's been doing this ever since he dropped out of high school during his sophomore year. He lives in the back of his landlord's house. He doesn't socialize very much and his family would describe him as childlike. Uh, Brian is not a very smart man, but he's not a dumb man. He's very, like his parents describe him, very childlike, very innocent, very immature, but he's also not very good at speaking with women. Uh, he would pay prostitutes and escorts to have company and obviously have sex with them. Yeah. So, like any other normal day, around 1.30 uh, in the afternoon on August 28th, 2003, the pizza shop owner answers the phone and a customer's trying to place an order, but the owner can barely understand them and hands the phone to Brian to uh, see if he has any better luck. They place the order and give Brian the address. All was normal up until about an hour later when Brian is seen on camera walking into the PNC bank near the pizza shop. Eyewitness accounts say that Brian walked into the bank with this weird lump under his shirt and walking with a cane. He was described as being cool and calm while waiting in line. But after a few minutes, some of eyewitnesses say he started fidgeting and cuts to 
and he decides to get out of line, cut in front, and hand the teller a note. On the note, it was demanding the teller to put $250,000 in the bag in 15 minutes or the bomb would go off. That's when the teller looked up and saw the bomb hanging around Brian's neck. Okay. She told Brian she couldn't get the vault open in 15 minutes, so she and the other tellers were able to grab about $8,700 in the bag and give it back to Brian. As Brian grabbed the bag, he made his way out of the bank. Witnesses described Brian as being confident while he walked out of the bank. Once Brian left, the police were called. Then police, after searching for about 15 minutes, found Brian in a parking lot. Looking at a piece of paper standing next to his car, police pulled over and arrested Brian. They put him in handcuffs behind his back and set him down in front of his car. The police asked, why did Brian do it? Brian proceeds to tell the police when he delivered the pizza, he was attacked by three black men at gunpoint and to follow this treasure hunt to unlock the bomb around his neck. No, no, that's not what happened. I don't think so. They that also- doesn't sound right. <laughs> that sounds nope. very made up. Yeah. So they also provide, he, uh, Brian also says they provided him with a shotgun disguised as a cane. Yeah. Because What? <laughs> Wait, there's so much effort that's going into this robbery Mm -hmm. for no reason. Right. I, I, again, I don't think that's what happened. (laughs) All right. I mean, I can't tell you whether you're right or wrong. Yeah. But you've got a good poker face right now, so. Good. He goes on to say that they would kill him unless he did this robbery and performed several other, several other tasks. The police thought the bomb was a fake due to it looking very poorly made, and towards the end of this, I will show you a picture of the bomb, it is quite hysterical. Police also noticed the shirt covering the bomb said, guess. Like, just guess. Just guess. Oh, guess. Guess, yeah. Authorities... Wait, like the... Like, the, like guess. Like, can like, you like, guess? Or was it like the brand guess? No, it is like, can you guess? Oh, okay. Like, guess with... Uh, with uh, question marks. Okay. And authorities believe that this was a challenge from the criminals, according to his story. Brian kept begging them to take the bomb off before it goes off. Then, a few minutes later, the bomb starts to beep. Brian is frantically crying and crawling around on the ground, still in handcuffs behind his back. The bomb squad was called about 3 p.m., but about 3.18, the bomb is detonated and kills Brian, leaving a fist-sized hole in his chest. Wait, fucking what? Yep. That was a real story? Yeah. That sounds so made up. It's so far, yeah, it's real. Oh my god. Okay. Okay, okay. The bomb squad was about three minutes out before the before it detonated. Oh, okay. Uh, some argue the police should have called the bomb squad right away, where some blame it on the traffic created when the police blocked a few block radius off due to the bomb threat. But the bomb squad considered their response time appropriately quick. And I think that's very subjective. What is appropriately quick for any also, how emergency far are response? Are they traveling? Like, what else is going on? Right? Here's my thought maybe they should have been called sooner. Mm-hmm. And as they were being called, the perimeter should have started being set up. Because it sounds like those were very, like, two very different events in the timeline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they definitely blocked off the radius first. Was talking with Brian, 
Then they realize it's real. Then they call them. I mean, I am not. I am not police. I don't. <laughs> I right. don't know the actual protocols or anything. But in my little brain, that's what makes sense. But even even if bomb is mentioned while you're talking with a suspect, just like, just, just like let's just get them over here. Just this in is case. what we pay our tax dollars for. Better be they safe than sorry. They can at the very least look at it and be like, "Yeah, it's a real bomb. We're gonna have to deal with this," or be mm-hmm. like, "No, that's fake." Right. Exactly. So, do you remember when I mentioned that Brian was standing and holding a piece of paper? Yes. So, that note that police saw he was holding was actually a nine-page handwritten instructions addressed to the bomb hostage and directed Brian to rob the bank and perform a scavenger hunt to find keys that would delay the bomb going off and then eventually defusing the bomb. The letter goes on to say that Brian would be under constant watch, and if he strayed or called the police, they would remotely detonate the bomb. And scrawled at the bottom of the last page in bold letters, it said, Act now, think later, or you will die. Okay, pause. Yep. One, who has the fucking time? (laughs) (laughs) Two, a handwritten instructions nine page again who has the time three (laughs) is this not a plot to a movie so i will i will say this sounds like a plot to a movie do you or anybody out there remember 30 minutes or less it's starring uh, jesse eisenberg as a pizza delivery driver oh no so it's a similar plot and the producers of it say that they vaguely heard of this incident uh-huh. before making the movie. Mm-hmm. Because this is an incident you can vaguely hear of. Exactly. This made na- national-wide news. National-wide? Yeah, national-wide? Nationwide. Nationwide. <laughs> hey, it sounded right in my head. Or national news. One of the two. I'm just putting words together at this point. That's all you do. Um, okay. Any more questions? I just, and then I think about the actual, like, emotional turmoil of being in this situation. Mm I, well, okay, go ahead. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you, do you want to finish the thought? I think that was about the end of it, because I, I was just... Like, I keep thinking about the description of him crying and crawling around on the mm-hmm. floor, even though he's in handcuffs and panicking. Because that was the moment where I was like, this is real. Mm-hmm. Okay. 100%. I just, um, the I, absurdity of it. There's so much planning that went into this. And right? I feel, now it just very much feels like it's, the plan wasn't for all the robberies and the tasks and get somebody to do this. It was to fuck with somebody mentally and then potentially kill them. I mean, maybe. Like. I mean, maybe. You could be right. I mean, there's plenty more to the story. I Yeah, that's, I'm, I figured as much. Go ahead. <laughs> I will uh, mention that I, ju- I just remembered, actually, they had this on live TV, too. But the TV or the live feed cut out just before the bomb went off. Oh, of course it did. How would they have known to cut the TV? Right before. I think because I think it was because they heard the beeping. Okay. And the I cops suppose. were freaking out 
because once that started beeping, cops started backing away, like, ah. Oh, like, they had footage, like, in the... Or was it just, like, of the police station, like, outside? No, this was in an empty... This was in a parking lot. Just a random parking lot. Oh, this was in a parking lot the whole time. Yeah, this was in a parking lot in front of his car. Oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's live video cameras. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. This was for everyone to see. That was, yep, that was, that was national television. Mm -hmm. That sounds right. Okay. Hate that. Uh, So during the police investigation of trying to find who could have possibly done this, there was one individual that kept avoiding being interviewed. His name was Bill Rothstein. About a month after Brian's death, Bill called the police to let them know about a dead man in his freezer. Well, um, hmm. <laughs> um, he called police just as a like, hey, just so you know, I got a body in the freezer. <laughs> like, no, is, is that? I mean, you're about to find out why he called the police. Oh, okay. So Bill admitted that it was his ex-girlfriend, Marjorie Armstrong, who murdered this man, and he helped her do it. The man was Jim Roden. He was Marjorie's live-in boyfriend. She murdered him with a 12-gauge shotgun and did hide his body in the freezer. Wait, okay, so she's alive. Marjorie's alive. Marjor- okay, so the body is the live-in boyfriend. So Jim Roden is Marjorie's now-deceased boyfriend. Okay. And Bill is a friend of Marjorie's. Wow, okay. That That's oh, okay. I think I follow. So now there's only there's two of them alive, right? Okay, now. so he and yeah, he did just call the police and was mm-hmm. like, "Hey, heads up." Mhm. FYI, just so you know. <laughs> right. Uh she also did give him $2,000 for helping her. And wow, it, that's a whole very illegal thing that just happened there. Oh, Everything yeah. about that is illegal. Literally oh, all of it. 100%. <laughs> and and it was also found she killed her boyfriend of 10 years because it was a dispute over money. I will let it be known that Marjorie is a has a lot of mental issues and is a known addict. Okay. Of I mean, a lot yeah. of different things. Okay. And she is also well known in the community for the recent deaths of her recent boyfriends. Boyfriends. She admitted to killing one of her boyfriends in self-defense. Has she has she ever broken up with anybody? Apparently not. Or does not. she just kill them? Uh, not Bill, because Bill was her ex-boyfriend. Okay. So well, he made it out somehow alive. He did something right. And another one of her boyfriends died due to blunt force trauma to the head. And unfortunately, that body was not, what is it called? Found? Recovered? Autopsy? Yes. Oh, the okay. body. The body was never autopsied. Okay. So they could never formally charge her with the murder. They, how, the, how does this shit happen? I, uh, somehow in Erie, Pennsylvania. Well... So now this led into another uh, inve- uh, the, so this led now into another investigation. Bill gave a testimony against Marjorie for a plea deal, but he did die of lymphoma during the trial. And in 2007, the trial finally was over when she was charged with the murder of her boyfriend and sentenced to 20 years in federal prison. And here's where this is going to start making sense as well. 
Uh, she made an effort to be transferred to a minimum security prison from the federal one she was in. And if she was, she promised that she would tell everything she knew about the Brian Wells case. Okay, so remind me of why she knew about this case. Because so it was this... her and her ex-boyfriend that made him do the thing with the bomb around his neck? No, so no. they were wanting to, they wanted to in, uh, interrogate Bill because he was, um, he was avoiding police from being interviewed or interrogated. So why did they want to interview him regarding this? Because he was, he was in close proximity. I'm not 100% sure okay. why, but he was in, he was in close proximity to the events happening. Okay. Um, also just being a known, uh, uh, basically being known addict and everything like that too and having a history yeah a criminal usually, record a criminal record you usually go after or you usually look into people like that yeah okay um, okay that that makes so that's sense why I just, yeah. they were looking for him but then he called the police oh oh they were looking for him but then he was just like hey yeah so a month okay. later after that... brian's death he called the police okay. after he was evading police now i understand okay thank you good yeah no problem i know it's a lot to keep I think that's what we're going to have to start using the whiteboard for. So now she wanted to be transferred to a minimum security prison, like I was saying, from the federal one, because she has information on the Brian Wells case. Okay. She told investigator that uh, investigators that Bill was the mastermind behind the plot, uh, and Wells was in on the plan from the beginning. Brian Wells, sorry. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian. The, she states that Brian Wells was on was in on the plan this entire time. The one with the bomber on his neck. Mm-hmm. And that is until he realized he was the one that was going to have to put the bomb around his neck. Wait, I'm sorry. He helped advise the plan, and then they slapped the bomb on him. According uh, according to her, yeah. Uh, she also goes on to say that Bill was the creator behind the bomb, and around the same time that Marjorie is spilling all this information, I'm going to add another name in here. A drug dealer named Ken Barnes was turned into the authorities by his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law brought him in because he was bragging about being part of the of the armed robbery and bombing. Okay. Okay, so now we are now only on, we're on Marjorie and Ken now. Okay. Those are the only two we're worrying about. During Ken's interrogation, uh, Ken agreed to tell them everything for a reduced sentence. He told investigators Marjorie was the mastermind behind the heist and the bombing. She planned this heist to be able to pay Barnes, so Ken, to murder her father so she could collect her inheritance. After interrogating Marjorie with this new information, it was found that in fact she was the ringleader. Ken was, had a reduced sentence to 45 years in prison for the information given. Marjorie was found not fit to stand trial for the murder of Brian Wells due to her many mental illnesses and having glandular cancer. Okay. But after being treated and, uh, and given a psychology test, she was able to finally be tried. And on November 1st, 2010, Marjorie was found guilty on three charges, armed robbery, conspiracy, and using a destructive device in a criminal violence and was sentenced to life in prison along with murder. Jesus. So there's a little bit of aftermath here. There is a uh, Netflix little miniseries called, um, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Oh, Evil Genius. Okay. It's a four-part series, 
and he gives insight and one of the main people they interview is a prostitute and longtime friend of Brian's that he would frequently hire. And her name is Jessica. She actually made claims that Brian was the mastermind behind everything. And she would also frequently purchase crack from Ken Barnes. Oh, it's a whole little circle. Mm-hmm. There was kind of a little bit of a love triangle going on, too, but you'd find that out if, when you watch the miniseries. There's, it goes okay. a little more into their personal lives, which I, th- I Is found... Is it like a docu-series, or do... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But even with all this information and this uh, miniseries out, Brian's family wholeheartedly believe that he had nothing to do with this, that he was just an innocent victim of this heinous crime. Heinous is the word. Mm -hmm. Heinous, absolutely. Uh, Brian was odd, but he was a very kind and gentle person when described by any one of his family members. He was childlike. He was mentally slow, but Brian wouldn't hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. Brian's family believe that he was just scared and didn't want to get hurt, and that he was forced to do this. And Brian, not knowing what else to do, he just complied. And that's what his family firmly believes. And, I mean, listening to their stories, I would believe it, too. Yeah. I mean, a 46-year-old man still delivering pizzas? Like, he's doing it to get by. I mean, he has his own place. He's not super, yeah. super slow, but I mean, he is... Yeah, at that time, you could get by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delivering pizzas. That's really unfortunate. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Like... When you think about it. Yeah, that's a bummer. You said you were mm-hmm. going to go dark, and you did. Mm-hmm. You went dark. Oh, I did. There was one one thing I wanted to mention. Um, Jim Roden, her boyfriend she murdered, uh, Marjorie murdered. Yeah. Uh, she actually just, she pled guilty right off the bat to that one. She said, yeah, it was me. Yep. Okay. I, well, good for her, I guess. Yeah. Oh, and here is the, I'm going to show you the device. I'm going to describe the device first, and then I'm going to show it to you, Hannah. Oh, that reminds me. I actually have a picture for you, too. Okay. From from my story. Okay. This is, how the, this is how this bomb is described. The bomb used in the killing consisted of a hinged collar that worked like a large handcuff to go around the neck, four keyholes that went under the chin, and a rectangular section that contained two pipe bombs and two kitchen timers. One electric timer hung down over the chest, The device had several decoys, such as unconnected wires, a toy cell phone, and stickers bearing deceptive warnings. Deceptive warnings? Oh, Mm -hmm. like there's nothing in here but warning. Right. That was the device. What? Barbaric, isn't it? That's crazy. Right? It went around his neck. It looks like just a giant version of a handcuff. Literally, in that exactly. And so this part here... Uh, flip it 180 and this was hanging down by his chest yeah crazy right yeah you'll have to send me a picture of that for social media we're gonna try to be better about actually sharing our yeah. pictures on social media yep 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 we got it all right here's the picture i have for you it is a picture oh, yeah. of val johnson describing what happened and like the size of the ball of light oh okay and that's the road, like that's where it happened. Wow. Yeah. We gotta we, we, we gotta find that road. 
I want to be on that road. It's just Highway 220. Okay. Okay. But yeah, that's the unfortunate death of Brian Wells. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. That was very unfortunate and a little, a little rough. Yep. I thought I'd go right back into it. Yeah, just gonna... Kind of just yeeted it out. Yeah, you really did. You really did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We're, we're gonna have a talk after this. <laughs> I don't like the sound of that. After spending the last couple of weeks of being like, we're being kind to our minds, and now you're just like, hmm, dark and brutal. <laughs> Hey, I mean, that's what I came on here to talk about. It is dark what you and came brutal. On here. I it just felt good to do some lighthearted stuff. Yeah. But there was some morbid stuff in it still. There was. So I think a healthy balance is what we need. Mm-hmm. I've got a cemetery fun fact that's about what I was cures. Just about to, I was just about about cures? About cures. Alright. Yeah, because I was just about to ask you, do you have a cemetery fun fact? Mm-hmm. Being near or in an open grave cures all manner of illness, including toothache, boils, and incontinence. It's all about a healthy balance. I really don't know what to make of that one, but... I don't know how balance actually comes into that, or but... I mean, how often are you standing next to an open grave? Or in one. Or in one. That's my favorite part, or in an open grave. That just seems disrespectful. So are you telling me if I go stand in an open grave, my diabetes will go away? Because... I mean, it sounds like that. Worth it. Worth the awkwardness and explaining to a widowed worth wife? All of it. Okay. <laughs> just, just, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You do you, boo. I'll be in the car with the, with the motor running. I'll help you out. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to agree with you if you're right or wrong. You shouldn't be just like allowed in public. It's not okay. Apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's episode 15. That is episode 15. Thank you all for listening. Friendly reminder to interact with social media, to subscribe on wherever you're listening. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, interact there to just I mean, interact just, everywhere click yeah, the like, like button like, click the love button like respond the to bell the q a's or the polls and all of that stuff just just do it all we like it we really you know, like it interact with us so we can interact with you yeah we want to know more that's what we're here for this is safe space it's always been a safe space <laughs> all right well we will see you guys next week with episode 16 All right, guys, take it easy. Bye. Bye. The Bleeding Grave is hosted by Hannah Slavic and Austin Wenger. Music by Hannah Slavic. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to The Bleeding Grave on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and more. 